glad you made it today. I know the Lord's going to bless you for it. It's rare that somebody goes to church and goes, I wish I would have stayed home today. They're more like, I got to go there more often. But let's pray. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters who aren't feeling well and, and for our service this morning. Lord God, we thank you again for this day that we get to gather and to meet with our brothers and sisters and rejoice and worship you for what you have done. And even more so, as it is more pronounced during this time of the year, we thank you, Father God. And we do give you all the glory and pray, Lord God, as your word goes out, that you will glorify yourself through the proclamation of your word. And more so, Father God, with us as in the application of it as we go out and glorify you with our lives. And Lord, we pray right now for those in our church who are at home sick and ill. We pray for your hand of blessing upon them through healing, Lord God, and just a, a time of, of refreshment and, and help them to feel better quickly, Lord Jesus. And uh, Lord, that they would be able to partake in all the things that they are, are planning on doing over the next couple of days. We just pray for them. Pray for those that have made it today and thank you for them. Pray that you would also just touch them, Lord God, that they might feel better as well. And we pray all this to your glory. Amen. Well, open up your Bibles to that Christmas story that you know in the book of Revelation. That was a joke. <laughs> just kidding. Not really, kind of, but not, you know, but not really. And the reason I go to the book of Revelation, if you know the book of Revelation, it is a, it, well, let me say this. Think of Christmas first. Christmas, the message of Christmas is shrouded in, you know, all this fantastic imagery all over the place. Fantastic characters, right? I don't want to ruin that for anybody. Traditions, symbols, as up here as well. Figurative language that's used during Christmas time. And all these things reveal to us, to some extent, the meaning of Christmas. Even as I was sitting in, in Starbucks the, earlier this week, and I was just looking at all the advertisement or the, the wording, it was joy and cheer and you know happiness and every word that conjures up these feelings of goodness and excitement. And again, they, the, the message behind that, though, if you really peel it back, is supposed to be about Jesus Christ that they just don't know. But the point is that all these things shroud the meaning of Christmas. You know, they reveal to us what Christmas is. Again, think of the traditions that you take in, the symbols around your home and the decorative things all around our culture. And if you think about the book of Revelation, you can see where I'm going with this. The book of Revelation is also shrouded in fantastic imagery, fantastic characters, traditions, symbols, figurative language. But they are all there to reveal to us who God is. They're all used to reveal to us God's redemptive plan throughout world history. God, in the book of Revelation, is revealing himself in the coming of Jesus Christ and his plan. And isn't that what Christmas is? Christmas is God revealing himself in his son, Jesus Christ, as the gift to all of us. God gave the gift of himself. And the gift isn't in just in the giving of his son, but it's all wrapped up in the person and the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And there are many, many layers of meaning and depths and understanding that we will never exhaust. As you can tell, we meet every Sunday 
talking about God, learning something new about God. But it is God revealing himself to us day in, day out, every Sunday, every time we open his word. And so I pray this morning as we look at this story in the book of Revelation that we will see Christ revealed to us and you can see the connection with Christmas. So hopefully I, I did that justice. So open your Bible to Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 4, and just a quick little background so you know what's going on. The Apostle John is writing to seven real churches in Asia Minor who are going through some tough times in their culture or in the midst of persecution and trial. Some of them are even hiding. John himself has been banished to the island of Patmos for the word of God, for his witness, and he's trying to bring hope and encouragement to these seven churches. And that's what the book of Revelation is. It's hope and encouragement a message of victory to the churches. And again, think of Christmas. Isn't Christmas a message of hope, of promise, and of victory? And you'll see that plainly in these verses that we're going to study, just a few, and I hope it whets your appetite to attend the Revelation study that starts back when? After New Year's. After New Year's, right. Kind of, I was serving up the ball for Pastor John. The 11th, thank you, wife of John. <laughs> that, John's like me, uh, it's next year sometime we start. My wife would give you the exact date and time. Well, let's read verses 4 through 7, just four short verses. And let's see the revelation of Christmas. So it says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom priest to his God and father to him be the glory. And dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds And every eye will see him and those who have pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be a man. Do you see Christmas there? Does anybody see Christmas? That's okay. We're going to peel it back and reveal it to you again, because that's what the book of Revelation is. It's a revealing, an unveiling of who God is and his redemptive plan. And again, I hope you see the the connection with Christmas. It is God entering into humanity, revealing himself, revealing his redemptive plan. So let's go back to verse four. I want to start by pointing out a couple things here in the revelation of Christmas. The first thing we see in the revelation of God to humanity, and that's when I say Christmas, that's what I'm meaning. I, I don't lose sight of that. It's grace and peace. Do you see that in verse four? Grace and peace or grace to you and peace. And remember who the audience is. It's the seven churches. Churches. He's writing to churches. And I don't want to lose sight of that. And you'll see why as we, as we go forward. So the revelation of Christmas to us as well is grace and peace. 
and they come only from the triune God. And again, I, I wanted to do like a poll on my own. Is ask people going around this week at work, and I didn't want to do it at Starbucks because they would kick me out probably. <laughs> Asking people, hey, what does Christmas mean to you? Like seriously, like it's not a trick question because people at work know I'm a believer, and they're like going to try to say it's about Jesus, you know, because they know I'm a pastor too, so they're trying to, you know, give me the right answer. But I really, I wish I would have done that so I could see what, what does Christmas mean to you? What's behind all it? Once you peel back of all the happiness and the gift giving that you're doing, what are you striving for? What are you trying to do? And I think it's this, what we see in Revelation, grace and peace. It's that peace that everybody wants. It's that peace, again, that that feeling brings us at Christmas time. That happiness and joy and cheer, all those words, again, that I saw all over Starbucks advertisement and marketing. But you see where it comes from in verse 4? Look at your text. Look at your Bible. Hopefully you have your Bible. Revelation 4. Grace to you and peace from. And then he goes in to describe the Trinity. From him who is and who was and was to come. That's the Father. And from the seven spirits, we don't have time to go into why seven spirits, but that's the Holy Spirit, who was before his throne, and from, verse 5, Jesus Christ, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all are the ones that give peace. And again, this is why it's to the church. It is only to the church of God that real peace comes. If you remember the angel's song to the shepherds while they were out there tending their flock, their song in Luke 2.14 was this, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, this is important, among men with whom he is pleased. Again, that peace of Christmas only comes from your relationship or understanding and knowing who God is. And again, that's why John in Revelation is Offering grace and peace to the churches, those who know God. And in Christmas, that's where true peace comes from, is in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. So the revelation of Christmas, number one, is grace and peace comes from the triune God. Let's move on to verse 5. And it says, and from Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at three titles that Jesus has given here and show how they reveal what Christmas is all about. So Revelation 5, let me just read verse 5 and then we'll come back and talk about all three. It says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, that's the second one, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and released us from our sins by his blood. So let's camp out on these three over the next few minutes and see the revelation of Christmas in the titles of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is first called in, in Revelation 1-5, the faithful witness. And again, think about what Christmas is. It is God revealing himself to humanity through his son, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Is not Jesus the faithful witness to us? Jesus is the one who reveals to us who God is. Remember when he was talking to Philip in John chapter 14. I'm going to read that to you. Verses 7 through 9. John 14, 7 through 9. We studied this a few weeks or a few months ago now probably. But let me read you to this. He says this to Philip. 
He says, if you had known me, meaning Jesus, if you had known me, you would have known my father. From now on, you know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for me. And Jesus said to him, I have been have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father again? Jesus is telling him, I have been revealing the father to you guys. I'm the faithful witness that does this. This is Christmas. Jesus revealing us. The father. And God, all of that is wrapped up in the faithful witness. So not only is Jesus a faithful witness to us and to humanity about who God is, but what else does he reveal to us? And we sing about it at Christmas over and over again. It's Jesus reveals God's plan of redemption. He comes to us to tell us how we can be reconciled to God. Jesus is the faithful witness of that. Remember, we studied this just before we got into our series on Christmas. In John chapter 18, verse 37, when Jesus was standing before Pilate and being questioned about who he is and about his kingdom, Jesus concluded with this in verse 37. Therefore, Pilate says to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this, I have been born. Again, tying it into Christmas, the first advent, Christ's first coming. The reason he was born, reading on, for this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Christ coming as a babe was to show us who God was and to show us how to be reconciled to God. His whole life was all about that. He is the faithful witness, which is why Revelation, again, I'm using it this morning to reveal to us the meaning of Christmas. That is exactly what Jesus came to do. He didn't come just to be a nice, sweet little baby. He came to reveal to us who God was and to defeat sin and to reconcile us to God. He is the faithful witness. So the revelation of Christmas, again, is that grace and peace come from our relationship with the triune God and that Jesus is the true, excuse me, the faithful witness. Thirdly, at the second title, look at the second title, going back to Revelation 1, verse 5. He is the firstborn of the dead. Now, this is what we celebrate in a few months from now at Easter. Jesus being the firstborn from the dead was talking about his resurrection, his defeat of death. That's who Jesus is. He came to reveal to us who God was or is, reveal to us through reconciliation, how to be reconciled to God. And then thirdly, to inaugurate the new creation. It's through Jesus Christ being raised from the dead that each and every one of us who trust on the Lord Jesus Christ will also follow him. And be resurrected. So Jesus coming and his works inaugurated the latter days, the new creation. And Jesus is giving the place of preeminence. That's what that title means as well. He is the firstborn of the dead. It's a it's a it's a title of honor, a preeminence. Remember in, in uh, Philippians two, nine through eleven, Jesus is given a name above all names. Let's read that uh, Philippians two, nine through eleven. 
This is where the Apostle Paul is describing that. He says this. For this reason, God highly exalted him, that place of preeminence, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what it means to be the firstborn of a dead. It is a name pregnant with meaning. He inaugurated the new creation, and he is preeminent above all things. So there and again, there are two titles for us that reveal to us what Christmas is. Again, it is the, he is a faithful witness, and he is the firstborn among the dead. The reason we sing so much about Jesus coming is because what he was going to do. John mentioned it in his prayer about Simeon. He said, I have seen the salvation of God. Because of what Jesus was going to do, he did not stay there as a little child, as a baby. That's what Satan would have hoped. That's why he was pursued to be killed, where Satan used the evil king or or governor of Rome to go and kill all the firstborn males of Jews. The first, actually, those that are two and under. He wanted to kill the kings. That That was Satan's plan to kill Jesus before he made it to the cross and totally defeat Satan. Therefore, he is the firstborn from the dead. Back to Revelation now, verse 5 again. So Jesus is a faithful witness. He's the firstborn of the dead. Thirdly, he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. This describes Jesus' absolute sovereign rule over his creation. Even though, again, remember the context of the book of Revelation. He's writing to the seven churches who are persecuted, who are suffering, who are maybe thinking of giving up because it's tough. As you, as you read the, the, the individual letters to the seven churches, he's telling them to hold on, be faithful, hold on to the Lord, don't give up. Why? Because Jesus is the absolute sovereign over all things. He rules heaven and earth. He's defeated all the enemies on earth. Just hold on to him. Even though your Savior was crucified, remember, he rose from the dead, thereby defeating death and defeating all kings of the earth. His resurrection solidifies his absolute sovereignty. Even over death, he defeated death. So those three titles of Jesus Christ, again, let's go back over them. They reveal to us what Christmas is. Jesus is a faithful witness. He's the firstborn among the dead. And he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. The hope of Christmas or the promise of Christmas is that our Lord is king. Right? We sing these songs of him of being king, of being ruler, a little baby. But it wasn't until his death, burial, and resurrection, that those things were solidified. He's the king of all the rulers of the earth. No matter what this world looks like, know that our God is in control. Our God has defeated all his enemies, and when he comes a second time, they will be defeated for good. So the revelation of Christmas, let's finish up verse 5 here. Because we'll find a, few, a couple more things here. So those are the titles that are given to him. And look at what John writes about him at the end of verse 5. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. 
You see, Jesus loves his church. I hope you see that in the coming of God and God's sending his son to this earth. It's because he loved his children. The fact that these three these three things that I just mentioned this faithful witness, firstborn among the dead, ruler of the kings of the earth. They should demonstrate this to us as the faithful witness. Jesus, God demonstrated his love towards us by revealing to us who the father was. By revealing to us his sovereign plan of redemption. And by being the firstborn of the dead, he demonstrated his love towards us by dying for us, rising for us, and that we too will follow in his footsteps. That's how Jesus demonstrated his love towards his church. And that's why John can say to him who loves us. Again, he's writing to the church of God. And fifthly, And lastly here, Jesus has released his church from their sin. Look at the last part of verse 5. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. So Jesus just didn't come to show us who God was. Remember, he came to redeem us. We talked a lot about this last week. But here again in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, John reminds us that he released us from our sins by his blood. He released us from our sins. What does that mean? Well, he released us, and we talked about this last week, so we're going to share a little bit more. So sorry if you heard this before, but it never gets old. I hope you understand that. We have been released from the penalty of our sins. We are no longer pay for the penalty of every sin we have committed and will commit. Praise God for that. We won't pay our sins to God. For the, we might pay for the price of sins now. So if we hurt somebody or say something or do something illegal, we are going to be punished for that by this world. But we're not going to be punished by God for it. That's already been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen? I hope that gives you hope. It's like, yes, I'm not going to suffer the wrath of God for my sins because they've already been borne by Jesus Christ on the cross. Again, Jesus loves us, it says, and he's released us from our sins by his blood. Again, released us from paying the penalty of our sins. We've been forgiven. The debt has been paid. We have been pardoned, and we are justified as righteous in the sight of God. That's final. That cannot be changed. That should bring us joy and cheer, and that's why we glorify God at Christmas time because of what he's done. Not only has Jesus released us from the penalty of our sin, and this is the one each and every one of us struggle with today still because we haven't fully experienced it, he's released us from the power of sin. You might be thinking, well, you know what? I still sin. I sinned this morning. I'll probably sin later on today. And guess what? We'll sin for the rest of our lives. But we are no longer ruled by sin. We are no longer enslaved to sin. And we no longer live for sin. That is what a non-believer does. They're ruled by it, enslaved to it, and they live for it, and they don't even know it. But now we've been released from that power. And as believers, we struggle and fight against our flesh. You, You probably feel that tension every day in your life, especially if you're driving on the freeway now. You don't let sin rule you. You don't let sin enslave you and you don't let sin 
live, you know, just live for sin anymore. You're not living for that. You're different. You've been transformed by the power of God. And we grow daily in our holiness, which is called sanctification. We are trying in the power of the spirit to submit to him so that God would control our lives more and more. Let me read to you from first Peter chapter two, verse 24, where he talks about this. Peter writes first Peter two twenty four, and he bore he himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his body so that we might die to sin. Right. There's that part where we're no longer ruled by it and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. This that's our goal now. That's our process of sanctification as we no longer live for sin. We're no longer ruled and enslaved to it and live for it. But we now strive to live righteous by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we live for. And we should move forward knowing that, hey, my sins are paid for. And every time I sin against God and I repent because I feel bad for them, they're forgiven. They're paid for. I'm not going to pay for those sins anymore or ever again because we have been released from the power of sin. And so again, in the revelation of Christmas, that's these five things again. Going to hammer them home so you understand them and think about them over the next few days. The revelation of Christmas is this, that grace and peace come only from the triune God, that Jesus is our faithful witness, that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, that Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth, that Jesus loves his church and Jesus has released his church from their sins. So knowing all that, therefore, how shall we live as followers of Christ? Well, I'm going to give you just three points. And we'll conclude with these three points of application. Number one, Jesus has made his church a kingdom. Look at verse 6 of Revelation chapter 1. It says this, And he has made us, after proclaiming all who Jesus is and what he's done, he has made us to be a kingdom. You as a believer have been set apart and become into the realm of the kingdom of God. You now live in the kingdom of God. We are set apart now out of this world and live for him. We are now citizens of his kingdom. And guess what? As we live in this kingdom of God now, we wait for the literal fulfillment of God's kingdom at his second coming, which we'll talk about in a few moments. So right now you're thinking, is this the kingdom of God? This is it? No. In a sense it is, but not fully consummated, which we will experience at his second coming. And again, remember, this is what he's telling the church in Revelation. Hold on. You're God's children. You're the kingdom of God. And we'll see in a moment you are a priest of God. Hold on, stay faithful because victory is assured and one day it will be fully experienced and realized. We are living now as the kingdom of God. And we, like Jesus, knowing this, should live a life that is faithful to God. We don't have to wait for the second coming to live faithful to God. We're called to do it now, to be faithful witnesses just as Christ is. So the application for us at this Christmas is, number one, Jesus has made us into a kingdom. We are his now, even in the midst of this world. Secondly, 
Jesus has made his church priests to God. Look at the last part of verse 6. And he has made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are a priesthood of believers. It's not just me as a pastor, as a priest to God. It's not those who are ordained in certain churches who are priests of God. Who is he calling the priests of God? Who is he writing to? The seven churches of Asia. All the believers in the churches there are priests to God. We are set apart, and I talked about this last week. So we've been saved, forgiven of our debt, and now God enlists us as his priest. We're set apart in his kingdom. We are a priesthood of believers. And what do priests do? Get your mind off the Roman Catholic priesthood. We're not going to talk about that. That's not what I'm talking about. What does Scripture tell us that a priesthood does? Well, they, number one, they represent God to the people. right? God used priests in the Old Testament times to represent himself to the people. They would teach the people the law about God. They would teach people who God is. And guess what? You and I, as a priesthood of believers, are to do the same thing. God uses us to teach people about himself. That's what he's enlisted us to do. The second thing that priests did is they brought people to God. So once they told people about God, they brought them to God. They represented the people to God. They stood before God on behalf of all the people that they represented it. And think about this in our lives Do we represent people in our lives? Can we bring people to God? I remember one thing that that stood out to me when I first became a a father and I got married and we moved into our our second, our first condo. The the guy that was renting the place was a believer and he told me, he goes, you know what, Robert? You are the priest of this household. And it's like, I understood what he meant. It's like, I'm representing God to my family, and I'm supposed to bring my family to God. That was my job. And he was right. That's what each and every one of us are to do. We are the priests, especially you husbands and men. You are the priest of your household. You are to represent God to your household and bring your household to God. It is a great privilege and responsibility to say that. And it's not just for men, but the women as well. You too are priests to those people that you were over. Maybe even in our workplace, think about this, those of us in the workplace, we can be a priesthood to the non-believers in our workplace, representing God to them and bringing them to God. That is the work that God has for his church. We are a priesthood that live in the kingdom of God, and that is our job that we do, our responsibility. It is a great responsibility. It is an awesome privilege to have. And it might be scary, too, because you might be thinking, well, I haven't been <laughs> I haven't been the greatest priest to my household or to my family or to my friends or to those in my workplace. That's OK. There's only one perfect priest, and that's Jesus Christ. The rest of us are flawed. And so line me up. I'm the flawed priest as well. But God can still use us. So the application of Christmas is this, that Jesus has made us a kingdom, and he has made us a priesthood. 
And guess what? It doesn't end there. Look at the back to Revelation chapter six, uh, chapter one. Sorry. Look at verse seven. After he says all this, he says, behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. What's this talking about? This is talking about what I've been alluding to the second coming. There's going to be a time when Jesus Christ, who came the first time at his advent and did all the works of God, defeated sin, died, resurrected and ascended into heaven, is going to come back. That's what John's telling us here. He's going to come back in the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Why? Because they'll realize, oh man, this guy really was God. But for the church, it's a promise that he's coming back to us. And all those things that we look for will be fully consummated. The new heavens and the new earth, the new creation, resurrected bodies, defeat and obliteration of sin for all eternity will be gone at the second advent. This is what we are waiting for. This is what the revelation of Christmas tells us. It's not that he came once. That he came once to do a great work and then he's coming back to fully consummate it. Or we'll fully realize the kingdom of God. The new heaven, the new earth, resurrected bodies, which all of us are like, amen for that one. But we tend to forget what's going to be there and it's going to be the greatest thing. It's not the loved ones that have gone before us, which will be a great reunion in heaven. It's not the resurrected body. It's not the new creation that's going to be just totally awesome that we can't even imagine. Scripture barely tries to describe. It's that we will get to see Jesus Christ face to face. Imagine that. The one that we sing about and read about and live for, we will finally see him face to face and get to embrace him physically. Imagine that meeting when you stand before Jesus and get to say thank you personally by yourself. Are you ready to receive him at his second advent? If Christ were to return today, would you be excited to see him? Or would you be like those in Revelation 1 who mourn over him as they see him return? The book of Revelation has a bunch of descriptions about those who call out for the mountains to fall upon them at Christ's return, to hide them because they're shamed that they did not believe on him. See, Jesus is coming back for his church, and are you ready to receive him? Do you look forward to it? If you look at the last, the very last two sentences of Revelation 1-7, I've never noticed it before, but it says, so it is to be, amen. It's the Greek and Hebrew forms of agreeing with all that was just said by John, of who Jesus is, of who the Father and who the Spirit are, and all that they are going to do for them. He says, so it is to be, amen. It's going to happen, and I agree with it. Can you say that? After reading that, can you say, so it is to be, amen. That's who Jesus is. That's what he's done, and this is what he's coming for. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I pray as we close this morning that you will be able to say amen to that. So it is to be amen. Let me close with this. 
what I said earlier again, God gave the gift of himself in his son, Jesus Christ. God gave us himself because it revealed himself to us and he revealed his redemptive plan to us. The gift, again, isn't just in the giving of Jesus Christ, but it's all wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Will you embrace him and will you continue to enjoy this gift of Christmas until he returns again? I pray you do. Let's let's pray. Lord God, you have given us so much and we sit here and we've just touched a little bit on it. We don't fully understand or grasp all that you have done for us. But I pray that what we do understand and what we do grasp, we would say, so it is to be. Amen. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for coming into this world and revealing to us who the Father is, revealing to us his redemptive plan. We thank you, Lord, for being the firstborn among the dead, whereby ensuring eternal life to all those who embrace you as Lord and Savior. We thank you that you are sovereign over your creation and over every king and ruler of this world, that no matter what is happening, there is always the assurance of hope that you are in control and that you are coming again. I pray this Christmas as we remember you as a child, that we would also remember that you are coming back for your people and to establish your kingdom for all eternity. And we will get the joy of seeing you face to face. We thank you for this, Lord God, and may we never forget you. And it's in Christ's holy name we pray, the faithful witness, the firstborn of creation, Lord over the kings of the earth. Amen.